Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Stop and stop it. Small doses. Y'all know that these midterms is coming fast and furious. They are on we they are on the, are on our heels. And I think some folks are still playing games. But I do not play games unless, of course, that game is Smart, Funny, and Black, which you can see in Atlanta on October 15th and in uh, Brooklyn on October 29th. However, Tennessee, I was going to do stand-up in Nashville. My show ended up getting canceled um, due to low ticket sales, which is due to bad promotion. But that's another conversation. Because really, what we have to discuss is who we do need to be promoting in Tennessee and the fact that Tennessee, I don't think y'all know how fucked up Tennessee done got. Like, I think, you know, I, I, if you're not in Tennessee, you may not be aware, but Tennessee is operating as a Christian theocracy at present under their current governor, Billy. Uh, Billy is the, is the governor of Tennessee, correct? Yeah, he's trash. Okay. He is basura. Um, and so in our efforts at Small Doses to always put y'all on to things that are in your immediate necessity and things that also you may not have known, but that eventually will get to you regardless. We have a sister, Miss Odessa Kelly, running for U.S. Congress for Tennessee, joining us right here at Small Doses. Now, before you even say something, Odessa, <laughs> Odessa is running as a Democrat to represent the, 20, the Tennessee 7th District if elected she will make history as the state's first queer black congresswoman. As a community organizer, Odessa's platform is centered around racial equality, climate justice, and economic dignity. So that's how you ended up on the show, because we about all those things. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> I don't just bring any candidates on the show. Like, you're not going to come on my show and then be on here. You know what I mean? Like, people get on the show and then be like, so, down with abortion. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> So, Odessa, first I would love to find out just why you even want to do this shit. <sighs> right. Because people, people ask me all the time, Amanda, why don't you go into politics? And I'm like, whoosh child, I ain't cut out. <laughs> um, I, out of desperation to save my own life is how I ended up doing this, to be honest. Uh, you know, I was a good athlete in, in college and high school. I thought after I graduated from Tennessee State University that, you know, I was waiting on WNBA to give me a call. That's what I was doing, you know? And like a lot of other young people, uh, I was living off credit cards, chilling, kicking it, you know, enjoying my six pack. And on my 23rd birthday, my daddy did some shady, you know, shit, which is probably some of the best, one of the best things that happened to me now in my life. Girl, he gave me this big box, Huge, had ribbons on it. It's the girliest ever been in my life. I couldn't, I was excited to open this box. <laughs> and inside of it, it had a uh, a pair of scissors for me to cut up my credit cards in a job application. And I did, no lie. And so that's how I started working for Parks and Recreation. My father worked there for 44 years. Okay. I grew up in the park system. I loved it. In six weeks, I knew this is what I wanted to retire doing. 
I loved it. My oh, job, wow. Was part- what were you doing? Yeah. Because Parks was, and Rec, uh, for a lot of us, only version of that we have is the show on NBC. So what were you doing in Parks and Rec? Right. It, you know, um, in, in Nashville, if you draw it, if, when I was growing up, if you draw the 10 mile radius around downtown Nashville, whatever direction you went, predominantly black, working class, working poor neighborhoods. Right. And every place had a community center. So I was in Parks and Rec. That's what I did. Like, that's where you go for your leisure services. That's where your seniors mm-hmm. would go to hang out in the morning time. That's why I learned how to play basketball, run track, you know, uh, Pinochle, Bridge, Space, all these things, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, those type of things. You know, it was the place where you had to, to do something with all your idle time before or after school, you know. And so that's what I was doing. That was my job. And I was really, really good at it. Girls, you know, football, flag football, basketball, Girl Scouts, like I was talking about, arts and crafts, making those intergenerational connections. And it was important. Um, I would high five the teachers in the afternoon. We get the kids. We had one of the best after school programs in the city of Nashville. But the other part of it is uh, I had to get a master's degree. You know, um, I went back to school when I was 30 to get my master's degree in 20. I'm sorry, when you were what? When I was 30, right after Trayvon Martin got How killed. How old are you now? People don't know. I'm 40. Black I just don't 40. crack. Black <laughs> don't crack. When I say black, y'all say black don't crack. Don't crack. What? Yes, ma'am. You know. <laughs> ma'am, but, wait. I got to Wait. This might be one of our greatest Black Don't Crack stories ever. Like, you look a, not a day old. Because I was really like, what does this 24-year-old know about running a state? No. I'm 41. I'm, I'm, I know. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay, carry on. Wow. Well, yeah, you know, I... Um... You know what part of that is? Part of that is because you found a job that you really loved. You found a space that you worked in that you really, like could be in that poured into you. And I feel Absolutely. like that keeps people young. Absolutely. You know, and and now it does. At the time, it was stressing me out because um, I went back, got my uh, master's degree so I can move up and to get mm-hmm. into management. You know, oh, hold on, let me back up. I'm nervous. Let me, let me take a deep breath. You want to do it together? Come on. Thank right you, now, Sister Seals. Now, Odessa, please carry on with your story. Now, tell us. Uh, all right. So um, I started working in 2006. Recession hit 2008. I went from a full-time employee to 19 hours, no benefits, nothing. Nashville is one of the fastest growing cities in the country because their damn show Nashville. You know, it was a really good show. It was a really good show. <laughs> Connie Britton. Shout out to my girl, Shaylee. Well, that, I mean, it caused a lot of gentrification, a lot of displacement. The growth was Mm. insane, you know. Well, with that happening, we're one of the fastest growing cities in the country. I'm a city employee. I'm not getting a cost of living adjustment. By this time, I have two children and a partner. So I'm just trying to figure out uh, adulting well. Yeah, yeah. You know, like pay your rent before you go to Miami. Those type of things is the energy I was on. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So all these things are happening, um, you know, and... It's getting harder and harder to live, you know, and take care of the things that I need to take care of. But that all those things are happening. I'm on the front lines of poverty. I see what is happening in the school to prison pipeline every day, you know, and I'm dealing with it myself. Yet I just took on seventy thousand dollars of college loan debt to get to stay on a job that I love as a manager. But I may top out at 58K in 20 years. It was stressing oh, wow. me out. You know, yeah. And it, it was stressing me out about realistically, how do I do this? You know, 
And uh, I got tired of going to court for kids who were, Amanda, they may have stolen a car, but no one ever asked the reason why. I had kids with stealing cars because you got developers who are putting their mama, they're raising the rent, tripling the rent on the place they live, you know? And so their mm-hmm. mama can't afford the rent. So you got a kid who's hearing these rumors that if you steal a car, you can get two bands. So they're thinking they can go out and steal a car and pay for their mama rent. And wow. I got tired of this cycle. I got yeah. tired of passing out food boxes every day. The crux of my job became not doing Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. I was literally passing out food boxes to people I went to college with. I mean, wow. the people who who got a four year degree decided to become a social worker. are coming to the center, to get a food box just to subsidize for because they're living check to check as well. That's not mm-hmm. OK. So all those things led me to becoming an activist for working class people for like all the things that we're going through and we're seeing because we're struggling. What was causing that, though? Like what legislative decisions were being made that were trickling down to this increase of poverty? Because gentrification doesn't just happen on its own. Right. Well, you know, um, all of this was an awakening moment, like an aha moment for me. Um, The fact that I was underpaid is is the fact that we are underpaid for the work that we do. You know, Nashville, the prices of rent were becoming astronomic. When I first started renting, you know, my um, first apartment, I rented it for like right at nine hundred dollars. And I thought it was expensive then, you know, and every year it's just like tripling and doubling. I think the average cost for a a one bedroom studio here in Nashville is around fifteen hundred dollars. Yet the average medium income for Metro Nashville is around fifty thousand dollars. It's a little under that, actually. I want to say it's like forty four thousand dollars. So my question, though, is what are the legislative decisions that are being made from the top? Oh, okay, okay. My bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah, uh, I think um, there there are several in different places. Um, The fact that we said um, corporations are people (laughs) is a a big one, you know, and Citizens United is a huge problem that we have. And the reason is, is because you have corporations that now get to pick the legislatures that we have. And so what they're doing is they're fixing policy around corporations and their bottom lines and not people. For instance, some of the legislation, uh, we've denied uh, Medicare here in the state of Tennessee over a billion dollars. You know, over 60% of the debt that people have here is medical debt, right? And every time that we try to legislate it away Mm -hmm. and locally, we get get it preempted at the state level. That's how the legislation is working against us. We tried Mm -hmm. to put put inclusionary uh, housing policy in here in Nashville, Tennessee. The state stepped in and then they preempted that law as well. So those are the type of things that happen. We don't have automatic pay sick leave during a pandemic. So you have people who can't take off of work when they need to. You know, those are the type of legislations that are hurting people and keeping us in this box. Can you speak more to uh, just in informing our audience on what Citizens United is and when you said that we made yes. corporations people? Yes. So Citizen United uh, b- basically said that there can be an unlimited amount of money given to uh, campaigns. And the reason why I tie it back to that is because if you're tying a limited amount of money that you can give to campaigns, then the person with the most money can have the biggest impact on who gets elected in office. And so what has happened is, is that you have corporations who are flooding in millions and millions and millions of dollars, not only to Republican officials, but, you know, um, a lot of uh, people who claim to be Democrats as well. Suiciders. Yeah. Right. You know, and putting money into their campaigns and they don't stand up against any of and that's how they'll lobby for them and not against them as the people need them to. And so that's how we end up with all this legislation or moving things to state rights 
as we see what's happening as a precedent across the country right now. Tennessee, here we are, we're in a state that actually is a non-voting state, you know, and we what learned that. What does that, that mean? In. So everyone thinks that Tennessee is a red state and, and on paper, it probably would show that. But if you look at all the races that happened in 2020, when we actually had every access for people, you know, availability for people to go vote, what happened is, is that races that we were losing by 20, you know, 15, 17 points, all of them losing by five and six points, little, small dumps. You know, so what that tells us is, is that Tennessee is a non-voting state, not a red state. So when you say Tennessee is a non-voting state, what you're saying is that the increments are so small because so few people are voting? Yes. We're like 46th or 47th in voter turnout. And is that because of all the gerrymandering and the voter uh, suppression? They gerrymandered Nashville to silence the Black vote. It's very easy, you know, what they tried to do. You know, unfortunately, the racist, uh, racist legislatures have no idea where Black people live. So when they cut Nashville into three different districts, what they ended up doing is putting all of North Nashville, our predominantly Black community, all of downtown, our most transient, you know, community where a lot of progressives have moved into the city and with uh, another huge urban conclave in Montgomery County. If we win these two counties, you know, that's over 60% of the population share. We win the uh, the race. So that's why I appreciate you letting me on the show to tell about more about who I am and the platform because we have a real chance to win this. Who are your competitors? Why are you better than them? <laughs> yeah, I'm running against racist Mark Green. Mark, he's uh, running for his third term. He's horrible. He's a Trumper. He's vowed that if he wins, that he'll reinstate Trump. He doesn't believe in the election, even though he can count. This man is a West Point graduate and a trained doctor who voted against putting that cap on insulin. Uh, he's oh, voted wow. against expanding health um, care. Now, in the South, it's one thing you should know about people in the South. We ain't afraid of butter, sugar, or grease. Correct. Nine times out of ten, you're going to meet somebody who might, you know, need Diabetic. a little help with insulin. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like there's also just the stigma that we're still trying to work past with getting Black folks to go to the doctor. So Absolutely. keeping us alive longer is is also something that we're just trying to do. And we can't if we don't even have access to medical care. So Mark Green um, is the incumbent. And at this point, it's just y'all, right? Like we've done primaries, yes. like you done made it through the fire. Exactly. It's, it's, it's me or him. Democracy versus fascism. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Do you believe in our system? Hmm. I believe it can work if we have the right people in place. You know, like for instance, um, it has been very stressful as a black woman, as a woman from the hood, from the streets, you know, um, being down in Georgia, doing everything that we possibly can to get Warnock and Ossoff in office, being here, trying to get everybody ready to vote. And having black men come up to me and be like, what is the difference, sis? You know? And what is the difference? Yeah. People literally ask, like, what is the difference? Like, you know, is uh Biden Biden uh put in the um the nineties um sentencing yes. laws, which yes. is how my brother my the brother's a bill. drug addict. Right. My brother's a drug addict and got 20 years for being an addict. <laughs> you know, right. so my family personally was affected by it. You know, but there all these things. So are when happening. they say what's the difference, they mean like what how are you different from him? 
No, they want to know, like, I'm telling if I'm trying to convince you about the urgency of voting and who okay. to vote for, what is the difference for them, regardless of who's in office? They haven't oh, seen I a see. difference yeah, in the yeah, pressure yeah. that's on there happening in their lives. Right. And I think that is a direct hit on uh, accountability piece for Democrats. The fact that people cannot tell the difference between when Democrats are are running office. Right. Because like. I, I guess it's the same. When we say all skin folk and kin folk, it's the same yeah. thing. Just because you're a Democrat doesn't mean that you for us or for our people or the urgency of the majority of people that we have, you know, and it's up to us to put people in our office who actually know the urgencies and needs that 99% of us are going through. So, yes, I think that this system could work if it's us who are leading it. And by us, I mean those people who have the shared experiences of what we're going through. Would you say that there's a shift that's happening within the Democratic Party where there are folks who are leaning loudly far more left than previously? Yes, absolutely. And it's crazy that I hate the whole left and right thing because I think it's just leaning toward common sense. You know, pe- I've been. I'm just. I'm using. I'm just using their language. I agree with. Oh you no, completely. I know. Yeah. Like people have called me um, an, an extreme radical because I want people to have housing. Yes. I don't want people to starve. <laughs> Like, like someone told me today, like, you know, Amanda, you say some wild things. And I was like, mm, I guess when there's so much <laughs> bullshit being said, like common right. sense sounds wild. wild. Yes. But um, yeah, I do. You know, I'm a justice Democrat. Um, I oh, believe- tell me more about that. I don't know that term. A justice Democrat. Oh. Okay. Who's in your so, clique? So the original squad are all justice Democrats. Okay. Um, just for, start- for the sake of just... Tell people you. who their squad is. So we're talking about AOC, uh, Rashida Tlaib, um, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna uh, Presley. That's who did the show? Say. Yes, I saw it. You know, Ayanna I got to meet her um, at CBC. It was my first time going to CBC weekend, a Congressional Black Caucus in um, yes. in DC. What so, did you wear? Everything. Is, I was fresh. Were you giving them like pantsuits, or were you giving them? Like, hood, like, what were you giving them? Because CBC is not just about the politics. It's also about the, the looks. L-E-U-W-K. Yeah. yeah, I crushed it every day. Um, if you, <laughs> like, if you go on my IG, you'll see a lot of pictures. <laughs> um, every day. And, and that's important to me, right? As an openly gay Black woman, like, it is important how I show up and present yeah. myself in, in spaces, you know, because I'm very comfortable in my womanhood, you know, but I also want to, I want to present well. <laughs> you ain't gonna That's see a black me thing, no though. Yeah, when you is, say that, though, like even when we was marching, you know, <laughs> folks is like, what am I wearing to the march? Like Coretta was in a kitten heel, okay, on a right, march. Absolutely. You know, I always try to present well. So, yes, I, uh, it was a good mixture of suits and like, you know, uh, blazers and fresh outfit combos, some <laughs> tennis shoes, some fresh loafers, you know. Fresh outfit combos. I love I'll it. Send, I'll send them to you, you know. But uh, yeah, that's so that's what y'all so consider you, the squad. The squad. Okay. So mm-hmm. they were the original Justice Democrats. Mm-hmm. And now you have Corey Bush and Jamal Bowman. You know, um, you got uh, Summer Lee, who was just elected as well, um, who's also a Justice Democrat. And I'm looking to be the next edition come November. Now, does this expand beyond just the Congress? Like, are there senators and governors that we consider to be Justice Democrats as well? Um, I don't think they, I think that right now they're just working on a House. Hopefully they will expand. But there are, I think, uh, members of both the Senate. And um, do we have any progressive governors? 
Gavin Newsom, I would say, is pretty progressive. Okay, I was about to say, yeah, Gavin Newsom, you know, I would say is progressive, but I think we're working toward that. I think that's part of the reason, a part of our platform, being able to speak unapologetic truth to power. So we have a real measuring stick of what it looks like when you have people who are running on progressive values. You know, I say it with progressive because, I mean, I'm literally talking about housing and making sure people can eat and get paid a fair wage for the work they do. She's doing air quotes when she says progressive, y'all. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> well, tell me this, like, what makes a justice Democrat? Like, what is that? What is the makeup of a justice Democrat? I think it's people who have receipts. Don't just talk the talk. They actually have walked it, have lived the experience. You know, um, I never... Earlier, you were asking me about what got me to the position of running and me wanting to think about my growth as a becoming even a better organizer. What's the next step of that? And what does it look like? You know, we did really well here in Nashville. And when I say we, not just me, there are other groups here as well. We've all been pushing to like move the narrative, move the needle. And with all the good work that we've done, we only moved it like inches. It's like, how do you move it meters? You know what a SWOT analysis is, I'm assuming, very intelligent woman. Uh, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I didn't know what that meant. Okay, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. A SWOT analysis. Okay. Uh, yes, and so going, I just did a mini one, like Thanksgiving of 2020. That was like literally the first day I had a time to breathe, given all the things that happened during 2020. Right. And um, me just kind of going over it, the weaknesses and our opportunities seem to align, align to be the same things. We do all the work, but we're not the people in the positions to get things over the finish line, which is where hopelessness comes in sometimes. So we can get all this good work done, yes. get it packaged, ready to go in legislation, yes. but we got to hand it off to someone who doesn't share yes. our same values that haven't walked what we walked. Yes. And at that point I said, am I going to be a victim? Of like, well, they won't pass it and get across the finish line, or do I step into that space so we can get shit done? Listen, you know? I had an ex that once said, there's only victims and volunteers. There's only <laughs> victims and volunteers. I mean, right. this is very exhausting work. Mm -hmm. um, who has or how have you been supported to continue on this path? <sighs> Um, well, <laughs> I think, um, when I say, when you ask who, um, I have a really good, good support group around me. Uh, the people that have been allies, uh, along the way, ever since my transition from just working in a community center and being a civil servant into being the leader and executive director of a nonprofit stand up Nashville, where we were doing, we were, we became public policy watchdogs and making sure that people had a voice in how the city was developing. You know, all those people who are around me who are part of labor unions and the other nonprofits, those people have been giving me a lot of support along with my family. Um, my kids are the dopest on earth. You know, mm -hmm. I'm lucky that they're teenagers now, so they fully understand uh, what's mm -hmm. going on. They know how to feed themselves. You know, like I told them to walk home today. I got an <laughs> Sorry, kids. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and then I have to give a special shout out to um, people like uh, Justice Democrats and like Collective PAC. Collective PAC is a PAC for, for, for Black people running in office. 
And I cannot start to express how grateful I am for them investing in me because imposter syndrome is something that creeps in constantly, even though I know what it is. It's hard sometimes to get over depending on what spaces I now get to move into. How does um, imposter syndrome show up for you? Like uh, like last week, I was at um, the Congressional Black Caucus, and I'm in, I'm in a space with people who are already elected, who've been doing this work for years. Um, me sitting and listening to Ayanna uh, Presley is one of the most intelligent people I've ever listened to in my life. You know, she knows yeah. every policy in and out. That's that's career goals right. for me. You know, I know the crux of them and I know the, the I know where our people are sitting and what it's mm-hmm. gonna take for us to get there. But yep. she knows all of that plus every policy in and out, right? Right. You know, right. and so I th- I think imposter syndrome will creep in on me as like I'm I'm just a hood kid, you know, did really hard, did worked really hard in school. Um, I didn't figure out life and what it become become comfortable in my own skin until I was probably 30 years old. And here I am 10 years later in a position to where I can really have an impact, um, you know, on our communities. And am I the right person to sit in this position to be able to do that? So I think that's what I mean when I say I know that I am and I'm preparing to do all of it, but it's still hard. You know, having groups like Collective Pack to right. give me the in and outs of things that I don't know. You know, I, I didn't come into this rich <laughs> You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's something I think a lot of people don't understand. Like so many people just can get into politics just because they can afford to, um, you know, like when when we had Cori Bush on the show, like she illuminated for all of us that like you don't need a degree to get into politics. You don't need any real yeah. certifications. You simply just need money and votes um, and money makes votes. In many cases, I just want to let you know, though, don't nobody figure them shit. There's there's their shit out till at least 30 like no like nobody i don't care what somebody might say i thought i had it figured out at 27 right. and then i found out bitch no what no you you're not a dummy but you don't know what you really know i mean there's a whole astrological thing called your saturn return that says that like every 30 years you mature into a new adult so i hope that you find some solace in knowing that like you were not behind in your trajectory. I think what we have to understand is that, especially for Black people, there's so much effort and energy being expended in just trying to figure out like survival and just trying to navigate spaces that are just unduly toxic, et cetera, that yes. we, we don't get to deal with ourselves <laughs> you know, in the same way that other folks who may not have to deal with those type of things get to earlier on. So... There's that. Like, I I just need I I hope that that becomes a piece of your a piece of your imposter syndrome that you can eradicate because I do believe imposter syndrome does show up. You know, I think anyone who's even mildly humble is going to have a certain level of imposter syndrome when they're in a space where they know people have achieved and they're trying to do the same. But if you're at the Congressional Black Caucus and you look around, don't you ever tell yourself that any of them people are more suited for the role than you a lot of them are faking the funk too okay so I, uh, yeah you, know, I you learned it that out. this week too <laughs> i did like, oh, i figured it out yeah I really did. Because, and then so mm. many of them too said the exact same thing you said and wrapped their arms around me you know i didn't i was humbled by so many people who already knew who i was as a candidate it was like we need more Lovely. candidates like you 
Yes. You know, and, and then gave me p- uh, pieces of the pie of things that, you know, that I'm going to need to get prepared for and needed to do. Yeah. And, and exactly the thing that you just said is how I want to build policy. That's why I'm running, because no one ever gives us the time to breathe yep. <laughs> and figure yep. ourselves out. And we got all other life's cruxes to handle. You know, why is it that we don't build policy around healing people and instead of building Cause policy around? Because it's more effective for capitalism to keep people. Sick. Absolutely. And everyone is afraid to um, push for that, you know, because they, they're afraid of sticking out and looking crazy. Well, you know, I don't I don't care anything about that. I just really want to get some shit done. So what Stuff. do you feel like you would Stuff. need? I promise no, I say was shit. You're going to get more voters. You're going to get more voters oh. <laughs> if you just keep it a buck. Um, right. So what do you feel like? What do you feel like is holding you back in Tennessee? From winning. I think I'm I think I think we're going to win this race. I honestly do. And I'm not being I am serious. Mark Green is lazy, you know, but he is rich. He's probably planning to put a million dollars in the TV ads this last month of the race. Call me a Bernie socialist or something. I could care less. You know, um, I knocked on my 20,000 door last weekend. Congrats. We've, thank you. We have literally been putting in the work, you know, um, like you just said, I think the. The way that I got into this uh, this position has been very helpful. Me negotiating and working, uh, um, I'm part of the union for people to have better workplaces and better wages mm-hmm. has expanded my visibility across, you know, um, rural white voters as well, you know, because everybody need a job. The fact that I'm from the hood, I'm, I'm right here, Nashville, Tennessee. I went to Tennessee State University, you know, HBCU right, right here at home. Did I work for Metro Parks and Recreation? You know, um, it's the third largest employer in in state in uh, in Nashville. It's probably got more black employees than anyone. Not parks, but you know, uh, the city government does. Me being a part of those things um, has given me all of the um, validation that I need. I think the thing that might hold me back is I'm not the establishment's chosen candidate. I'm the people's mm. candidate. Okay. And ne- I was the type of man. I was like, I fuck man. I'll never run. Right. You know, yeah. and that's and that's the energy I was on until, you know, I'm in every protest in the street and things keep happening. And it's like, how do we get real about having some type of effect for us and those who are coming behind us? And when that happened, it was people around me who literally kept asking me to run or nominating me for these different groups. That's how Justice Democrats ended up approaching me. You know, they say in three different cycles, even in other states, people are like, you need to talk to Odessa Kelly. And at that time, what happened here in Nashville is, is that we have a lot of work that needs to be done. It's the South. We're soaked in horrible, toxic traditions that we're trying to break out of. Like what? Yeah. Uh, for instance, blue. You know, uh, do you know the term a blue dog Democrat? No. So a blue dog is a person who leans very conservative, very mm-hmm. modern, and a um, what happens is they usually secure winning elections by going into black churches and smiling and doing that, you know, that two hand shake on oh, your yeah. mom and your grandmother's hand. Yeah. Right. And so she thinks that the Lord validated. So therefore you end up winning the votes in our communities and knowing good and well that you're voting against the very interests that we need. Right. And, you know, and it's because you carry a smile and a, a soft tone in, in the title Democrat. A saxophone. You know. There mm-hmm. you go. You know, and so um, that has to change. 
That's what a blue dog Democrat is. Manchin 100% is a blue dog Democrat. Um, the individual who I was running uh, against before um, they gerrymandered the district, he, you know, also was a blue dog Democrat. And even with his best intentions to do well for Democrats, you're not doing enough. You know, you can't always be the last person to do the right thing. I want representation, yeah. a person, you know, I'm going to leave the floor like the end of a basketball game. You know, shout out to all the other progressive Democrats. <laughs> we try the hardest today. Right, Wipe right, right. <laughs> You know, and so that's what I mean when I'm talking about a blue dog and those people have to go. And so me running as someone who's unapologetically black, unapologetically pissed off about what's going on and someone who's not afraid to say, I don't have all the answers. I just know that we need someone in the office who's going to listen to what the hell the majority of us are saying and what we want to see happen. And I'm that type of individual. So that's one of the traditions that you feel like, you know, needs to change. Give me another yeah, one. Yeah, that's one of them. Um, things like, for instance, um, waiting to, here's another one. We wait to the day of voting. <laughs> you know, if you want us to win on November 8th, on November 8th, have a plan for October 19th. Like I said, we're one of the, we have one of the lowest voter turnouts. And reason is, is because everyone waits until election day. That is a tradition that we have to change. You have to go out earlier if you want to actually see change happen. You know, How do people vote early? Uh, they go to the polls. Right now, October 19th through November 3rd is, uh, is open uh, early voting. In, I don't uh, think a lot Tuesday. of people know that. A lot of people really but, don't know that, that there's such a thing as early voting that's not absentee voting. Yeah. Like I know like in, in, <laughs> in California, they like send you the ballot, you know, and you uh -huh. can fill out the ballot and send it in. But I feel like... A lot of people don't even, they look, it's like junk mail. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what this is. So when are the polls open in Tennessee? Polls open October 19th. So, And wouldn't you say that early voting also helps because it starts to push the needle? And when people start seeing, oh, people are already voting for her. All right, well, I got to get on it too. I mean, it's kind of like pre-sales with books. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, there, there, a lot of people don't understand how much is at stake from the beginning of these types of processes that that actually end up creating momentum towards the end like that Absolutely. last that last little bit should just be a last little bit it should be just like the last couple of folks not everybody Absolutely. That's exact. That is and that's a huge tradition here that we have to change, you know. One How are you changing it? How are you helping it change it? Well, we've been working on it. You know, I think part of that, too, is um, another tradition here is that we just believe what elected officials tell us without Oof. actually following it up. You know, I'm like, look yeah. at the voting record of these individuals. And we oh, started just doing lying. that. <laughs> yeah. So many of them do. Or they're very good at code switching or the language that they use to where people don't understand is layered in a lot of BS. Yes. <laughs> you know, so that happens a lot, too. Um um, and so what we've been doing for the past several years is like building a dominant narrative of what is the baseline questions and accountability that we want to hold all of our elected officials to, you know, what is the report card? What's the measuring stick that we're, that we're going to measure your performance on. Mm. Right. And so, um, that's part of the tradition that we are trying to build. Like, you just can't come give me, uh, one of those typical stories. 
You know, I did hard work growing up and put hmm. myself up by the, by bootstraps, the bootstraps and, <laughs> you know, I built my own company. And I realized one day that we can do greater for the people, man, whatever. Life is complicated. It has a lot of gray area in it and people live in that gray area. And we need people yeah. who are going to be real about what's going on in those areas. And so that's one of the traditions that we have to break here too, is becoming more civically engaged and knowing the difference of, and who has what we have. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around. Um, another tradition too, that we have to break when I say, and just believing what politicians tell us, we'll have politicians run on things like, I promise I'm going to, um, you know, lower taxes. Now you might have someone saying this on municipal level, knowing good and well that the power I, of that is at the state or the federal level. But the fact I that call you these said you're pizza party, it, I call these yeah. pizza party politicians because that's middle school. Everyone running for sixth grade presidents. Like I'm going to plan pizza parties. You don't have yeah. the power. The power exactly. You know, because people keep asking me, you know, how what am I going to do to codify Roe v. Wade? I said I'm going to do the best as I can to be appealing and build the infrastructure so the 18 months we can get rid of Marshall Blackburn because that happens in the Senate, you know, and we can be do our part in Tennessee by adding a Democratic progressive senator, senator to the piece. So we have the numbers to, to codify those things that lie on the Senate floor. So my last question is, as a congresswoman in Congress representing Tennessee's seventh, what mm -hmm. are the ways in which you feel you can, in that position, affect the position of Tennessee currently? In a lot of different ways, you know. Uh, first of all, I'm just tired of Tennessee always showing up on the news in the most embarrassing ways because that's not the definition of, of the majority of Tennesseans. We just done, done a poor job in who we have elected who represents us, you know. Of housing is the issue here. Affordable workforce housing, the same issues you got going on in California, Amanda, it's the same work, uh, same things happening here. I think that was one of the best things that happened with me having the ability to travel as mm -hmm. an activist. You know, I thought the issues that I was going through was just happening to me here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And you can just change the city name yeah. everywhere, you know. And uh, I think where I can be most impactful is being an advocate and knowing that the, the voice that I have, you know, is not just for the people here in Nashville. It impacts everyone across this country. You know, um, the fact that we don't have the For the People Act, the fact that we don't have the John Lewis Act and so many other things is because Manchin can hide behind saying, well, my constituents in West Virginia, we've been on the ground in West Virginia. <laughs> right. That's what a lot of the people are not saying that they just don't have the power to put you out of office. Right. And so I think having the impact that I can have on Tennessee is fighting to make sure that we can expand health care. The fact that we can build a pathway out of poverty with the Green New Deal. Can you think if we had more of us, we would have done Build Back Better along with the infrastructure deal? You know, that's what how is you... Build Back Better. So Build Back Better was the um, bill that we had in place to put in a lot of the things that we need. Like we had the stimulus checks. And then after the stimulus checks, we were doing the child care yep. payments for, for parents, those type of things, making sure um, that people had access to all the little social things, um, programs that are needed for us to get by day by day by day. Right. right. And what was happening, what is happening now is that people want to pass bills and strip all the things that actually help people mm -hmm. out of them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when I say that I want to be a person who can fight for those things, 
I wholeheartedly mean it. I want to fight for those. Workforce development was a part of that. Us being able to make sure that we are training black and brown people, poor people in poor communities about the jobs that are going to be the trending job industries for the next 30 years. You know, I'm tired of all of my cousins who didn't figure out what they want to do after high school. Only being Being stuck able to. Yeah, they -hmm. work in Amazon warehouses. Um, they work in what I call the chitlin circuit these days, which is Popeye's for two weeks, Burger King for another two weeks, you know, in a call center for a month. It just right. keeps going round and round. There's no ladder to get out of poverty into the middle class. So those type of things. Why did you decide to run for... U.S. Congress versus, say, state Senate or governor or senator, et cetera? I think it's where we can have the most immediate impact. Um, As an activist, um, so many groups of us together have been working on our municipal and local, uh, our our local municipalities, right? We have fought and got the city council that we want here. We have one of the largest in the country. We have 40 representatives, 35 for every district in Nashville and then five at large. And we fought really hard. We ran a slate of 15 people. We got 13 of them on. We have the most Black women on council than we ever have in history. Wow. We have the most number of LGBTQ uh, members in co- uh, on our local municipalities. And we're going to get the mayor that we want. You know, you we're really, moving you think in so? that direction. Yes, we're definitely moving in that direction. We're going to have a progressive mayor in office, right? Nice. And, and so with three to five years, we've been working our asses off across the state. We're going to get Tennessee uh, to purple. People laugh, but we're going to do that. We're going to get Tennessee to purple. Where we can have immediate impact was in our uh, um, federal legisl- uh, uh, House of Rep seats. You know, um, we can have some immediate impact on the things that can be trickled down, making mm-hmm. sure that we have the political will to expand health care for everyone. Making sure that we have the political will to put some legislation around who can own houses and who can't. I was reading an article a week or two ago that said that Blackstone plans to buy up millions of of of, of housing parcels. You know, the moment it gets a second to buy them, that's not okay. And then we wonder why we have these exorbitant prices of housing shooting through the roof. We yeah. don't have the opportunity you know, to buy those type of things. And we don't have the political will in Congress to say that corporations aren't people and they shouldn't have the ability, you know, to like price individuals and human beings out of the opportunity to even own a home one day. All right now. Well, Odessa, what do you want our listeners to know about you going into this midterm and then making a choice about who they're going to vote for? I want people to know it's up to us. You know, I'm a real one. (laughs) And I need as much help as I possibly can get to get over, uh, to get, to get to this finish line. Um, If, if you can hear my voice and you're in uh, my district vote, you know, if you vote and your mama don't vote, we don't win. If you vote and your best friend don't vote, we don't win. It's going to take every single last person who wants to have a change here in Tennessee so that we have the opportunity to define ourselves and the lives that we live to go vote. It's just that simple. It is the tool that has been given to us to use right now, and I need you to exercise it. You can come out. You can knock doors with us. Um, You can go to my website, odessaforcongress.com, and volunteer there. Follow me, uh, Odessa Kelly TN, on IG and Twitter. 
Uh, for everybody who's over the age of 40 and you on Facebook still, that's fine. We there too. Ah! Odessa for Congress. <laughs> go there as well and, and hit up your girl. We need every single person to go out and vote. And it's not just me. Vote for Jasmine Crockett. Vote for uh, Stacey Abrams. Because it's going to take all of us to really save our democracy and then to start to shape it in the way that we want to see it shaped. Thank you. Well, wishing you the best. And I really do appreciate just your candor and your realness. That is the type of politician that I want to support. Um, I don't endorse candidates, but I try to amplify voices that are absolutely focused on Black communities and specifically just trying to get justice for an entire nation of people that are not being represented. So uh, good luck, Tennessee. You heard her loud and clear. Get out there, do what you need to do. And Mark Green is trash. Absolutely. And let me let me give you your flowers. Thank you. I really do need to say thank you to you. There's so many people out here that you help every day. Like oh. when I am stressed out, uh, between listening between the Breakfast Club and you, it has Shout been. Shout and Envy and Jen. Yeah, and and, and uh, Jamel Hill. Like those are three oh, places. Hey, Jamel. You know that I can go and take a deep breath and get validated on the things that I feel that I may not hear in mainstream media. So I really do appreciate you. Thousands, millions of us do. You know, speaking up for us and you know just holding Thank it down. You. So bless you, sister. Thank you so much. A podcast. <clears throat> A podcast network.